every time a dog is reactive in a situation, we're dealing with that emotional response. And so a lot of times people think that the dog is being disobedient, so it needs to be trained, but it's really more on the emotional side of things that needs to be counter-conditioned. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you're listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today, founder and executive director of The Pet Connection, Melody Huff, discusses their pet adoptions, dog and cat training, aggressive dog rehabilitation, and classes for pet owners, including free classes for adopters. If you're new to Dog Words, in each episode, we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We Save Each Other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. You can support Rosie Fund by making a donation on our website or Facebook page. You can also contribute by making a purchase from the store on our website, buying a t-shirt at bonfire.com, or buying our note cards featuring Rosie and Peaches and our shirts on BarkYours.com. Links are in the description. Your donations and purchases help fund the Rosie Life Starter Kits that make sure these senior and harder-to-adopt dogs have some of the items they'll need in their forever home. Any donation amount is greatly appreciated, but here are some popular levels. $30 provides a collar and leash for a Rosie Life Starter Kit dog, and $100 covers their entire kit. You can also support Rosie Fund by downloading, subscribing, rating, and most importantly, sharing dog words. Follow us on social media, even if you aren't looking for a dog. Watching and sharing the videos helps our channel gain exposure, bringing awareness to our cause, and giving shelter dogs much-needed attention. Our free Rosie Fund YouTube channel offers great videos of Rosie, Peaches, and shelter dogs looking for their forever home. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions, especially if you have an idea for a topic or guest. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. Next time on Dog Words, documentarian Coulter Johnson and the founder of Chiquita's Friends, Geraldine Gilliland, share their film about helping neglected dogs in Mexico. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. Joining us on Dog Words today is founder and executive director of The Pet Connection, Melody Huff. Melody, welcome to Dog Words. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Kansas City is fortunate to have so many wonderful organizations that are focused on animal welfare. I don't think of it as a competition that we're all helping each other, serving different populations, covering different geographic areas, meeting different needs. And whenever I ask for donations or tell listeners to consider a donation to one of our guests, I like to remind them that it's all going into the same animal welfare pot. Yes. That if donating to the Pet Connection means you're not going to donate to Rosie Fund, I'm okay with that because perhaps the Pet Connection speaks to what matters to you as a listener more so than what we're doing. Maybe donate to both of us. But <laughs> but if you want to donate That's to Pet Connection, idea. yeah, by all means. So, Melody, tell us what the Pet Connection does. Well, we are a rescue group, a shelter, but we're not like traditional shelters in the sense that we are a little more behaviorally minded. We tend to lean towards the dogs and cats who have behavioral related or training related deficits and sometimes medical animals that aren't going to be well suited in a typical traditional shelter setting. Our 
facilities have rooms, you know, they're, they're set up to be a little more home-like and at all of our facilities where we have animals that live there, we have a full-time person who also lives there. And that person is a behavioral professional. Rosie Fund's mission is to help senior and harder to adopt dogs find their forever home. And I say all the time, it's often obvious what a senior dog is. And we can discuss what their challenges are for getting adopted. But the harder to adopt category is um, a little more difficult to define But the pet connection is addressing that. The dog or cat that's just stressed by the shelter environment is not going to present well to an adopter. So you have a better environment for not only the presentation, but just for its lifestyle to not be as stressful or to address the behavioral needs. What are some of the uh, sort of transformations that have taken place with animals that have been brought into the pet connection? Oh, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, you have to, you just have to know that once you're able to meet the exercise and quality of life needs on a day-to-day basis, you know, sometimes when you have a special needs animal, it takes them longer to get adopted than, you know, a a normal animal without those types of behaviors or medical components. And so you want to have a space where you can give them a great quality of life while they're waiting for their forever home. Like it doesn't have to be horrible or, or heartbreaking or stressful to just be a homeless animal. You know, you can set them up more in a home-like environment. And so when we do that, we just see them show more of their true colors. And if they were having behavioral or medical problems, you see them heal faster and better from those problems. You know, sometimes in a shelter where you're really stressed, well, you, we all know that when you're really stressed, you just don't learn well. You know, you don't learn new things well. You don't adapt well when you're really stressed. And so once you take that component out of it, the transformations have all been amazing. We just sent a dog home, Robo, that had just gone from this jumpy, mouthy, potentially not adoptable dog and just is doing fabulous in a home with kids and cats and, and other dogs. So we're very happy about that. You get them out of that cycle of, I have one strike against me that makes it harder to adopt, but because I'm in the shelter, I get a second and third strike. For instance, Peaches, when we adopted her, she had been in the shelter for a few months as a senior pit. So you have the pit strike. Right. You have the number nine next to her age. And even though she was a sweet, sociable, friendly dog, within a month or so, she became stressed out and is on anxiety medication because she wasn't getting adopted. She's in an environment that was stressing her out. So a dog that on a scale of one to 10 of how hard is it going to be to get this dog adopted was a three or four on day one. But then in a month, now she's a seven. Right. Yes. It's very typical for dogs to deteriorate in shelters the longer they are there. Which makes them harder to adopt, which which makes makes them them harder to adopt, which makes them harder to adopt. Right. It's a, it's a vicious cycle for sure. And we just took a dog that Rosie's is, you know, helping us with Hypatia and she's really done a lot of sleeping. Um, since she, she, since she left the shelter, you know, it's just noisy and there's activity going on around her. Mm -hmm. And and so she's, she's been doing really, really well. 
in her room at the at the Raytown location. She's at our new location in Raytown. And getting them out of that artificial environment to your more natural home-like environment gives a better read on what is this dog like. Yes, definitely. And she definitely has some, you know, speaking for Hypatia, who we call Pepe, because Hypatia is just too hard to say all the time. But speaking to her specifically, you know, she does have some behavioral problems. You know, she's a little nervous around other dogs and she's a little nervous around new people. And so we can just better address that in our smaller environment. And we don't have the open you know, door shelter like KCPP does where Mm -hmm. they're taking in all the strays. So we can just kind of hone in on her and really figure her out. And, you know, that dog, she has more friends than I do. (laughs) (laughs) She, oh, she's so charming when she is relaxed and not distracted or stressed out by other dogs. And really, how do you work with a dog whose issue is, I'm not comfortable around other dogs if they spend 24 hours a day surrounded by dozens, if not a hundred dogs. Right. And all the dogs are new and the, you know, the close proximities, you know, where the shelter dogs are walking right by where she's at Mm -hmm. all the time, just kind of triggering her and poking at, you know, poking the bear is what I call Mm -hmm. it. You know, when you have a, have something that kind of irritates you and now it just keeps happening. And the first time, you know, at first she kind of, dealt with it and you tolerated it. But as time goes on, you become less and less tolerant. Just like if I kept poking at you, you might Mm -hmm. eventually do something towards me that was a little more intense than what you originally started with. So that's what ends up happening with these dogs that are just a little anxious. You know, they start out trying to be good, but then their tolerance gets them over threshold and And it's all kind of downhill from there. But she brought a whole bunch of friends from Kansas City Pet Project. So she definitely made a connection to people over there and was kind of a favorite. But because she was deteriorating, they didn't feel like they could house her any longer, which I completely understand. But she's still going to be able to be a dog that goes on to a home. And I bet once we get her into a home, someone's eventually going to be like, I am so glad that this dog did not get put to sleep, that she had the opportunity to find us. She's the best dog ever. Well, unfortunately, it gives a bad reputation to shelters in general and KC Pet Project in particular when a year from now someone comes into Hypatia's forever home and meets them and her owner says she was a candidate for quality of life euthanasia. She was unadoptable. And they're going to look right. at that dog and go, well, that's ridiculous that someone would put down a dog like this. Like, Well, they weren't going to put down a dog like this. Because at the time, she was not a dog like this. All they're seeing is the end result of the great work that you have done in collaboration with KC Pet Project and the other organizations that you partner with. Absolutely. You know, the quality of life in a shelter can be different depending on how the dog has been treated in its past. And when you have a dog that has a little bit of issues with people and a little bit of issues with dogs and you're in that environment all the time, there's almost an impossibility to make huge improvements. You have to you have to make improvements in your arrangement of how you set things up and how you move everybody around. A lot of times in our space, that's that's what's being done. We're we're ran by behavioral professionals, so 
our approach to everything is a little differently. So, you know, sometimes we have to move two dogs and put up a barrier to move one dog outside. And we realize when you have so many dogs in the shelter and a limited amount of staff and a limited amount of training staff, Mm -hmm. then you're just not able to accomplish that. So it's wise to identify your dogs that have more behavioral needs right away in the shelter and move them to to rescue groups, foster homes as quickly as possible. I believe that's what all the shelters are, you know, attempting to do all the time. It's just some dogs get missed in the shuffle and there's there's a lot of them. And there's only so so many uh, rescue groups and fosters that you can partner with. I mean, right. Very so, much so. That, but this dog to dog issue is is a big, big component of dogs that we take. A lot of dogs that come in, they've been in the shelter, they're labeled dog selective. So no foster homes wants to take a risk on them because mm-hmm. they have their own foster dogs. So they don't want to risk it. And owners are less likely to do that slow intro that they need. But once you get them into the right environment and you can perpetuate that, then they're probably going to be amazing pals to somebody's dog someday as well. We just have to set them up, you know, just because you socialize well with one person uh-huh. doesn't mean you want to go socialize with the 100 of them. I like everybody. <laughs> right. You, know, you right. don't have to like everybody. Your dog doesn't have to like every dog, but to behave appropriately in moving past that dog, you don't have to play with it, but don't attack it either. Just, just move on. And I, I want to touch on a, point you raised, which is a lot of owners, this is not exactly how you said it, but this is how I'm going to say it. Not every owner is patient with the dog that needs to acclimate to its new environment. Right. Casey Pet Projects and other groups get dogs back in 24, 48 hours because it snapped at the family dog. It shouldn't even have met the family dog yet. True. Very and, true. And, 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 and people are told that they're, they're, it's explained to them what the uh, introduction process should be. And I think in defense of the new owner, you're just so excited about this new dog and you're not quite paying attention. You're not reading all the paperwork. It's yes, 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 yes. I know, I know. I want to go home with my new dog. And then, oh, they're going to be so cute together. And you've just thrown this new dog into an environment with a dog who thinks this is my house. Right. Yeah, there's a way to do that introduction. You want to have that new dog for years. So take a few days, take a few weeks to help that process evolve naturally. Right. Yeah, and have those connections. I mean, that's that's definitely what we'll be doing with Hypatia. When people come to us to adopt a dog that's in our program, then we're going to have them come and meet her several times. And then we're going to have a trainer who has a relationship with her, deliver her to their house, help them set up where she's going to sleep and where they're going to walk her and hang out with her there. And maybe even do that a few times. It kind of just depends on what the dog is telling us they need and how those, you know, how the adopter feels about it. And then if they have pets, we're going to have them do what we call a crate and rotate. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of that, but that just means it doesn't necessarily have to be a crate. Like you can just put the new dog in a, in a room or move one to the backyard while one's in the bedroom. But it just means separate the dogs a little bit inside, you know, only have them together from a distance at first 
And then once they are ready to acclimate, then we would come back and help you completely do that introduction so that it's done safely and without stress to the dogs. But all good relationships start off slow. You don't just move people Mm -hmm. in your life into best friend or spousal roles just because you have an opening. It has to have that relationship building. Rapport is everything when you're talking about some of these dogs. Yeah. And it's not even like online dating where you have picked someone out online and there's this instant connection the first time you go to dinner. This is someone else picking them out online. Right. The dog isn't picking your home. It's not picking your dog as its new friend. It's you telling this dog, our dog's going to be your new best friend. This is your right. new house. Take right. it slow. Take it slow. Right. People think that even though we give people the information, I think sometimes they think that if it's meant to be, that there's just going to be something magically smooth about it. And sometimes it will be an amazing thing, but you do have to just go slow. Do those introductions over the course of two to 12 weeks, depending on how many animals you have and the issues of the animal that you're receiving. But in this case, Hypatia We'll get lots of support. We'll be in touch with those adopters. A lot of times the special needs dogs just need a better village so Mm -hmm. that when they do go home, they get that wraparound support. Because sometimes like Hypatia was at KCPP, they found her a home five times. I mean, awesome that they did that. And just awful that those homes didn't have someone kind of like micromanaging their Mm -hmm. entry into the home so that maybe some of them could be successful. I know that they told them because that's part of their process and they do an adoption counseling session for their dogs like a lot of shelters and rescues do nowadays. But people are, like you said, they're just so excited that that information kind of got put back, you know, on the back burner and now they have a dog home and they've done everything wrong. And people become an amateur animal behaviorist based on their experience with the animals that they have had. Right. And this has worked 100% of the time with the two dogs that I've had in my life. (laughs) Yes. So now I am an yes, expert. People tell me that all the time. I ask people often, I'm like, how many animals have you had in your life? Because I've had like thousands mm-hmm. in my life. And uh, it is interesting yeah. that they do proclaim to be experts on the last two dogs that they've And even owned. if they've had six dogs and five of them, it was a rough start and things didn't quite work out and... They clearly didn't know what they were doing. Well, that was something wrong with those dogs because the one dog where it was smooth sailing, that was me implementing my system the way I know how to do it. Right. One in six is not a very good thing. Maybe it's not the dogs. If it's your success rate is one in six, maybe it's you. Right. Right. No, we definitely say all the time that people everywhere could do better by knowing more about the animals that they share their lives with. As a society, as a community, we don't know very much about dogs. And sometimes even in the profession, people don't know always how to handle dogs. And sometimes they feel like they got to touch them and hug them and give them love. And 
It's just like with anybody you know, some people are really going to respond to a stranger hugging them, but you go ahead and go hug every person in the grocery store and see how many people don't really love that. Yes. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to give an animal that doesn't know you a little more space so that they can adjust. Our foster Vinny has really two vocalizations. He doesn't calibrate. It's either this grumble, 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 or barking as loud as he can. And it's just this one loud bark. There's not a loud, there's someone at the door bark that's different from the loud, I'd like to go out and play bark, or I'd like to go for a walk bark. It's just, it's all the same. So when people come in, we give them a warning that he's going to bark, and you're going to think he wants to go for your throat. He does not. And he has just kind of a wide-eyed look anyway. So he barks loudly and his eyes are wide and you think he's going for you. But all of the rest of his body language is, I want to play. I want to meet you. But people, if you respond to the loud barking and the wide eyes and you tense up, you look insecure, well, then that's going to get him to think, well, something's wrong. Maybe I should be insecure. What am I missing? What's going on? Right. And you tell people, pretend he's not there. If you just ignore him, and just walk into our house, if you trust us, come in, sit down, don't give him any attention, he'll stop, and he'll go get a toy. Right. And he'll bring you the toy, or he'll come lay down with us. But it's really hard for someone to resist that reaction, their instinct that, oh, I just I need to tense up, or the people who can't resist the urge to, well, I know how to talk to him. Right. He just right. needs some love. No, he doesn't. He does right. not. He does not need he you to puppy loved. talk to him. Right. Which stresses him out more. Yes. yes. So, yeah. 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 I mean, we, we go round and round with volunteers about touching the dogs as we, we definitely have a lot of no touch dogs. And, and even sometimes they're like, well, she was asking me to touch her and and it went really well when we touched her. And I was like, Oh, getting away with something is not the same as changing how the dog feels about, because that's what we're dealing with is every time a dog is reactive in a situation, we're dealing with that emotional response. And so a lot of times people think that the dog is being disobedient. So it needs to be trained, but it's really more on the emotional side Mm -hmm. of things that needs to be counter-conditioned. So you get pulled over for going 90 miles an hour. You can't tell the trooper, listen, I've been driving 90 miles an hour for the last hundred miles and it's been fine. Right. Nothing's right. gone wrong. That's a great analogy. I love like, that. Yeah, I'm going to have to use yeah. that. Just because you got away with it for the last half hour. Right. Doesn't mean it's right. safe. Right. And then I have to tell volunteers sometimes that it's just not about you. Like we need to teach these dogs to like all people. Some people are just really good with dogs, Mm -hmm. and so they navigate to them naturally. And so it's shaping that behavior, especially like with Hypatia, making sure that she's having a good experience every time she's with people. And that will help her have good experiences ongoing, just like the snowball effect going the wrong way that we talked about Mm -hmm. at the beginning. We want the snowball effect for Hypatia to go the other way so that she's just getting all treats and praise and toys. And now all people are just exciting and great. Soon to happen with dogs for her as well. We hope to hook her up with some dog friends. Well, anyone who's interested in Hypatia, Pepe, or any of your other dogs, thepetconnection.net 
has more information that will be linked in the description along with your social media. How did the Pet Connection get started? I was the director of uh, Great Plains SPCA when it was Animal Haven. So I had worked there for a couple years and I really wanted to just, I really wanted to go completely no kill where nothing treatable and nothing rehabilitatable was um, put to sleep, that nothing was put down for money or for space. And so that's how we originally started the Pet Connection was to try to give these animals the intimate care that they needed while they waited for homes, even if it was going to take a while. So we primarily had a bunch of hospice foster homes and behavioral foster homes. And that was in 19... 99 that we did that. So we originally started just doing pet adoptions out of uh, the Mission Mall, which has since been torn down and is no longer. So you keep using these words that uh, people who haven't been in Kansas City for 20, 30 years have no idea what you're talking about. I know, I know. (laughs) What was the name of that animal group? Right. What was the name of that mall? Right. So we've been doing this for a while. So we've done a, a a string of things like we usually try to involve ourselves in whatever's going on that just needs a little push to be successful if people are doing tnr and they just need a little money then we try to get involved with that if people are doing tnr and they just need some trappers then we try to get involved with that we've ran spay neuter clinics we've run shelters we've run foster care networks and i hurt my back about 11 years ago and so i wanted to just downsize and so we then then we kind of got more specific on the types of animals that we helped. We used to help a lot more of a broad spectrum of adoptable animals as well as the rehabilitatable animals. But now we just focus on them because that is such a big need. There's just so many of them. And and a lot of times if we offer the assistance to these groups and these foster homes, nobody wants to kill their dogs. So Mm -hmm. if they're given better professional guidance, a lot of times they can do the work themselves and make just huge differences. And then the way that I see it is that if we teach them how to to work with this shy, fearful dog, then they're going to know that for the next shy, fearful dog. And so hopefully they're able to help more and more animals without our direct guidance. Get them out of the pipeline before they get to you. Yes, definitely. Because people always call us and it's not like we can take in like everybody else is in that same scenario. We can't just take in every behavioral dog that needs us, unfortunately. And uh, we're so thankful for the ones that we do get to save, but there's so many more. And that's why we offer classes and seminars. Yeah, I wanted you to talk about what you offer for people in addition to what you offer for dogs and cats. But yeah, tell us about the classes and seminars. We primarily do one-on-one classes because so many of the dogs have specific special issues. And so that just allows them to hook up with a trainer one-on-one. And those classes are private and we offer them to low-income individuals in the community. And for shelter dogs, if you enroll in our program and our partnership program, then you get free classes and free assistance. And you don't have to have the dog live with us in order to get some of those wraparound services. So if you're coming to classes, 
than some of that stuff I just talked about with Hypatia where we take her home and mm-hmm. we follow up with them and we give them free training support. That's what we do for your adoptable dog that's in your foster home or in your shelter if you have somebody that wants to work with them on training or behavior. So it's really great because it helps so much with retention. You know, now the dog is getting a little bit more foundation basics under their belt. And now that person has a little bit more support. So if they do have a problem that hopefully they don't just return it. Hopefully they feel like they have some power to actually impact the little transitional problems that they're having. And then they keep the dog, keep the cat Mm -hmm. instead of so quick to return. So, so we love that. We do day train where people drop their dogs off for the day. We do conferences for shelters. We've had shelters have us come out and do stuff for barking. We've had shelters come out and have us do seminars on handling. We've had shelters come out and have us do restraint seminars on feral cats. So we we can pretty much do whatever they think that they're needing educated on. We can offer those private opportunities and we try to do it at an affordable cost to them. And then when they send people fosters or their shelter dogs, then we do their training for free. And we have behavioral boarding and board and train services as well. That's what we're doing with dogs like Hypatia. Hypatia is in our board and train program at a discount. So we're giving board and train services to the rescue group that adopted her at a discount so that they can afford it, hopefully. And hopefully that will move her right along the pipeline a little quicker. And you mentioned that it is a Rosie Fund sponsored dog. And what that means is she has a Rosie Life Starter Kit that at uh, shelter, if you see a dog is uh, a Rosie Fund dog, that means that they get a collar, a leash, some treats, a gift certificate. I believe the gift certificate we have in right now is for dog ice cream from Mixed Mutt Creamery and uh, some other uh, retail gift certificates to help you start off your life with Hypatia or whichever Rosie Fun dog you adopt with some of the things that we know that you'll need. So you can hit the ground running. We've found that really helps people notice the dogs. I don't think it is, nor should it be the reason you adopt the dog. The dog needs to be a fit, but the dogs we feature that get the Rosie Life Starter Kit are the dogs that have been in the shelter for a while that are getting overlooked. And so this is, you know, kind of like a a car dealership moving a car right out to the curb. It's like people haven't noticed like this is a great deal. Right. And they're not making it a car for everyone. They're helping the people who need that car find it. And so we're trying to help people find Hypatia. One of the great values of coming to a behaviorist is, uh, I, the same reason when I'm golfing with somebody who is self-diagnosing why they are not on the PGA Tour is I tell them, go see a, an instructor, someone who is like a PGA teaching pro, because 99% of the time you have misdiagnosed the problem and you are making it worse by fixing the wrong thing, that you have now created a cascade of other problems. Right by knowing just enough to be dangerous. When you go to the behaviorists, the professionals, the people who've been with hundreds and thousands of dogs, you're going to identify, no, this is not about the way you're handling the leash. Your leash has nothing to do with what this problem is. Or no, it's not your voice, or it's not the environment, it's not the food. 
it's not the command. Do, do you find right. people that are resistant when they come for just the the consult, the training that sure. here's what I want you to fix? Because I know that's what happens when people go to a golf instructor. They say, right. you know, I need to fix my grip. And so, you know, help me with my grip. Well, no, right. I, right. <laughs> the grip right. is it's, the least of your problems. It's, it's very common. I mean, even amongst the animal professionals that we work with that they're like, watch this video, this dog is fine or watch this video. This dog is really bad. And so often it is, it is not the case at all. What's going on for instance, like in Hypatia's situation, they thought that by getting her around more people and more dogs, is going to help her socialize better. And that seems like a, a reasonable thought. Well, desensitize you, you to, yeah. Right. But you can't just keep throwing her in those situations, especially when she was already so stressed out. That's just not going to help you. If you're really stressed out, I can't say, I'm going to help you socialize better by taking to a party of 200 people you don't yeah. know. It doesn't help you de-stress. Yeah. And we're going to do that again tomorrow. Right. And we're going to do it again tomorrow and we're going to do it every day for the next seven to 10 days. And then the dog just keeps getting worse. And you can read a lot of times in the notes where they're like, we did this again and it got worse. And it's like, I would stop doing that right away. That should like, be a I red flag. A second time. That's a big red flag. But so many times people say the dog is fine. I just got a video the other day. The lady said, my dog isn't anxious at all in daycare. They say she's fine. I said, really? Please send me video. And she did. And the dog's running from door to door, jumping on (laughs) each door, jumping on each door, jumping on each door. I'm like, that's not very good, fine behavior. But, you know, the daycare thinks it's fine. The owner thinks it's fine. We often make fun of the fine. Well, like that can't be a description to describe what's going on. But yeah, I think that a lot of times people just don't. We we tell people all the time, you need to improve how you're reading the behavior. So many times people think that they know what's going on and they really don't. And so for us, when it's when we're talking about behavioral dogs, a lot of times it's just that people are confused about what they're seeing. They anthropomorphize a lot of stuff that they see as well, you know, uh, with the dogs. And that makes it even more difficult. They want to assign human emotion to the dog that isn't really appropriate. The dog wants to go outside right now. No, he doesn't. He's super anxious. He just wants to get out of this room. Mm -hmm. The time it takes to then address that issue can seem daunting, but compare that to the time that you would be living with that dog, having that issue for the rest of their life. Right. Or if right. that's what's I mean, keeping you from not turning that dog back in. Right. A lot of times we can help people with their own dogs, look at the behaviors that we're seeing. Like if they're having a situation where the dog is getting reactive or is scared or barky or whatever the problem is, then we can say, this is where it starts. If you want to head it off at the pass, I can't start a good relationship with you if I come to your house and smack you. You know, like if I just come over your house and smack you across the face, it's going to be really hard. As I can be as nice as I can be. It's going to be really hard for you and I to be friends after that. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to have a chip on your shoulder. Even if you accept an apology, you're still going to, in the back of your mind, you're going to be gritting your teeth and having a chip on your shoulder. And what you say about me after that, because it's an emotional thing. So when you start the relationship with the barking or with the reactivity, it's really hard to come back from that. So we try to help people preemptively 
notice those behaviors that they don't notice because so many times the dog has communicated what needed to be communicated for you to make a change in how you responded to them. And since you didn't, now you're all the way up into this barky behavior. And if that's the way you start each relationship, there's still that intensity. Mm -hmm. So you want to head that off at the pass with a dog that has some socialization problems. You don't want them to start out each relationship with that initial angst. Well, I am going to go back to my golf instruction and analogy because this is true. People will push back when I say, just go take a lesson. Just take a lesson because I know you take the one lesson and then commit to a series of lessons, you will see improvement. The pushback is when I'm good enough, I'll go. I'm not good enough for instruction. Okay, so you would prefer to make the job of the instructor more difficult, give them more things to undo. Same way with the dog. If you've adopted a new dog, start out with the behaviorist, whether it's the pet connection or just this is a new dog, go meet with a behaviorist and get started off on the right foot. But certainly if there's behavior issues, don't wait a second. Okay, it's been a week. It's been a month. It's been six months. Right. And I haven't figured it so, out. So many people do wait. And we, we tell them all the time, get your dog into training right away. It might be good for you to have some video conferencing or just some phone consult support at first. Like if your dog is scared of cars and scared of new people, maybe when you first take them home, you don't want to whisk them away to a off-site class mm-hmm. necessarily. Them a but you can still, you can. Yeah. yeah, but you can still get some behavioral support through so many other platforms now. Well, so yeah, because you mentioned the video of the person's uh, dog and doggy daycare. There are a lot of behaviorists who will work with you online, so you don't have to interrupt the transition and acclimation period into your home. Right, right. And so I recommend that to a lot of people who have behavioral animals because they are not very confident about taking the animal into a class. I probably got two or three calls just today. People were like, I took my dog to another class and it was horrible. I couldn't even get him in the door and he was barking at everybody and pulling me. And I just never want to repeat that. And I wouldn't want to repeat it either. And we don't allow that to occur in our classes. Everything is set up and controlled and people are out of the way and dogs are out of the way. And so that you could try to get your dog in and out as easily as possible. You got to get into the classes right away. When you, if you have any sort of problem with a dog or you just don't know about animals, you might as well have someone kind of coach you a little bit. If someone is interested in using the pet connection, again, there's a link in the website and it's real easy to request training because there's pinned to the top of the page is the training request form. You've mentioned your staff, your professionals. Do you also have volunteers? Yes, we have a lot of volunteers. We have volunteers that train through an internship platform that we operate and they become better handlers and then they are able to work with some of the dogs that have behavioral needs at our facilities. But volunteers also come in and do all kinds of other things. Like sometimes they just become the dog's friend. You know, they hang out with the dog. They take dogs for outings. They 
play fetch, they do laundry, dishes, sweep floors, you know, the general housekeeping that has to occur in any facility. Our volunteers are kind of there cutting up treats, cooking special diets. It's just endless. I mean, of course, we always need foster homes. That's probably our biggest volunteer need. If we had a plethora of foster homes that had their doors wide open for some of these special dogs, then that would help us significantly. And, you know, it doesn't, it lets us take in the next dog off of our list because Mm -hmm. We have a waiting list of dogs. So if a dog gets to go to a foster home, then we get to take something else out of the shelter or from a rescue group or from a home that cannot manage that dog. And so that definitely saves like two lives. And when you take a dog from us in foster care, we give you all that same support that I've been talking about. You come and meet them several times. We introduce them to your pets for you. We help you set them up in your home. We guide you and are available by phone and video and give you free classes. And and then you get to be a part of that whole process where that dog gets to go on to its forever home. So foster homes, they're just diamonds. And and, uh, so many people are looking for that type of help right now. If you could foster, go foster for anywhere is what I'm saying. Yeah. (laughs) And every shelter or rescue group that I've had on that does have foster has the same approach, which is, we want the foster to be a fit, just like we want the adoption to be a fit. Nobody is going to just foist a dog on you. When you volunteer to foster, you're not going to have a knock on the door and someone hand you a dog. Right, right. <laughs> They're going to make sure that this is the right dog for your environment. That's the great thing about doing other volunteer work, whether it's working with the dogs or just being there to do crate cleanup or prep treats or something, is you get to meet some of the dogs and interact with some of the dogs and you might recognize, I think this dog would fit in our house as a foster. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I think once you start volunteering, they can open the door for all kinds of things. And then when you know those dogs, you can better recommend them and you can participate on social media platforms when you see that dog, which really helps us get the information out there on those platforms. People are loving our stuff and making comments. I love it when I put a picture of one of the dogs out there and then somebody's like, oh, that's Atwood and I played ball with him today. You know, I love that because I want those dogs to have those experiences. And I think it just really, the public also needs to see Mm -hmm. that, oh, that's Atwood, but oh, he likes to play ball. When they can put those two things together, it can be really powerful in getting someone to come and look at him. So help out the pet connection, either with donation or volunteering, or at the very least, follow them on social media so that these dogs can get more exposure so that the cats, everyone can get the attention they need, whether you're adopting or not, by you following, that's going to help somebody else find that dog. Melody Huff, founder and executive director of The Pet Connection, thank you so much for the work that you do and for helping us tell the story of The Pet Connection on Dog Words. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it a lot. And anything that people can do to get those animals shared would help us tremendously. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Thank you to founder and executive director of the Pet Connection, Melody Huff, for joining us today. Links to thepetconnection.net and their social media are in the description. Next time on Dog Words, Coulter Johnson and Geraldine Gilliland talk about movie making and helping dogs. 
A big thank you to alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Supporting The Wires supports our mission. Learn more about The Wires, including their concert schedule at thewires.info, and download their music on iTunes. Check out fiddlelife.com and learn to play fiddle and cello fiddle online from Laurel and Sasha, even if you've never played before. Join Laurel and Sasha as they explore new music and delve into the inspiration behind each work as hosts of Sound Currents on 91.9 Classical KC. Click on the Sound Current links in the description for more information. Go to rosyfun.org to shop and get links to our social media. As always, please download, follow, rate, and share dog words. This helps us with sponsorships, then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions via the contact form at rosyfund.org, and let us know if you would like to be a sponsor or a guest of the Dog Words podcast. Thank you for listening to Dog Words, and remember, we save each other.